The game is over when the final buzzer sounds. The analysis ends when you say it does. This is Overtime Open Line. Interviews, analysis, and your opinion. Overtime Open Line is brought to you by the Canadian Brew House. Now, from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Center, Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, that was a good old-fashioned butt-kicking. The Winnipeg Jets owned this game from the opening face-off. The final damage, 5-0 in favor of the visitors who sweep the three-game season series from the Oilers. And Edmonton, which looked like it had some good things going before Christmas, now winless in its last three since Christmas, 0-2-1. Thanks a lot for tuning in. It is 7.56 on New Year's Eve along with Rob Brown. I'm Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. You can get us at 780-496-0063. But first, straight down to the Oilers dressing room for GCL Diesel, serving oil country for 45 years with genuine diesel parts at wholesale prices. Here's Captain Connor McDavid. I don't really even know where to start. Just uh, not a good effort uh, all around. Was this team even remotely ready to play? Uh, you know, obviously uh, not the result we want, not much else to say. I mean, we were bad, and that's the end of the story. How come in a game where so much is at stake and you're at home that you guys weren't able to muster kind of the determination that people wanted to see from the team? You know, I can't really answer that. Um, you know, obviously uh, we understand the position we're in, and, and every every point matters. I mean, it, uh, it's no secret to anyone here. So, um, you know, obviously not our best effort, but we'll regroup. And, you know, two, uh, two big chances to, to you know, win against two divisional teams, and, and that's what matters right now. A lot of people, obviously, on the outside are looking. They wonder, you know, why this team has struggled with a lot of the starts this year. No one has the answer on the outside. What do you think is lacking or missing potentially inside the room? You know, last year you guys were really good at starts, and this year it hasn't been there. Yeah, um, you know, obviously we don't really know the answer to that. I mean, obviously if we did, we would have fixed it by now. But, um, you know, something that uh, we need to take on as leaders and, and uh, something that needs to be addressed, and, and, and we'll get it going. I mean, we've, we've had good starts. We've had bad starts. Um, you know, I guess uh, flip a coin some nights. You guys have hit that all right, that's Connor McDavid, Oilers captain. Well, he said it, we were bad, and the Oilers were very bad, and the Olympic Jets were very good and have been very good most of the season. They're now 23-11-6. The Oilers are 17-19-3. They started December seven points out of a playoff spot. They go 7-5-1 and one in the month of December, and they are still seven points out of a playoff spot. They were 7-3 and three in the month before going in, in December before Christmas, and you're thinking, like, okay, they'll maybe make up some ground here, and instead they, they made up absolutely no ground, and that's how hard it is when you start the season as poorly as they did. Well, as poorly as they did, and not so many, much about how many points they were behind. It was they were behind every team other than Arizona. When you're behind that many teams, they, they tend to play against each other. And one night where, where you win, half the team are, teams are winning. And the nights that you lose, half the teams are winning again. So you, it's hard to make up ground. And that's why we talked. It If it was just a six-point deficit and you're chasing one team, well, it's a lot more hope. But when it's a six- or seven-point deficit and you're chasing all the teams, well, now you, you find yourself in a whole lot of trouble. And a, a, a pretty good month that the Oilers had going turned into just a little bit average better than month. average yeah. month. and Well, I mean, that is average in the NHL yeah, with and, the loser points. Yeah, like, and the Oilers can't have average months. Not when you find yourself 
where you were in the standings. So uh, a pretty disappointing night for the Oilers. You could hear it in the voice of Connor McDavid. And he said, you know, well, it's done, it's done. Now let's go out and we, they got a couple big games coming up this week. But their their compete and their thought process on the ice both have to be better against uh, two teams that are playing pretty good now in L.A. and Anaheim. Well, and that's... Uh, thought process is is an interesting way to put it. And I'm not I'm not at all disagreeing with you, but but we've seen that from the Oilers this season, Rob, where it seems like it comes down a lot of times to decision making or recognizing a situation but not doing the doing the right thing or leaning towards wanting to make an offensive play when you need to make a more thorough defensive play. You know, you know, there's we saw that more so earlier in the season, but it was really back in there tonight. And you referenced it with Bob. Yes, there were certainly mistakes by players on goals, but on how many times did the rest of the players on the ice react to that mistake Mm -hmm. by kind of like, oh, oh, there's a nice chance for the Jets. Yeah, well, and we know that when the Oilers were successful last year, they were successful because they were very good defensively, very sound defensively. And then they had guys that, when they were given the opportunity, they were able to put the puck in the net. Uh, and tonight, when you watch the goals that were scored against the Oilers, there was a, a big mistake, but it, the mistake was compounded by other guys not reacting properly to it, not being in the right position, being on the offensive side of the, the Winnipeg Jets instead of the defensive side, not getting pucks out, hoping the puck is going to bounce over a stick and taking off instead of waiting to make sure the puck gets out. Uh, just uh, silly penalties. Uh, again, uh, Cassian's penalty. I mean, at, at that point, the game is probably over, but you don't take four-minute penalty in the third period of a hockey game. You're losing it. Uh, just silly things like that that you've got to get out of your, your your game because the games get harder now. As as you start getting into January and February, the games start to get much harder, and you should be improving. And the Oilers, which they had that nice little streak, and went, it was disrupted by the Christmas break, but since they've come back... There's been flashes of brilliance, but there's also been flashes of of not knowing where you're supposed to be. Things like that, that at this time of the year, you should not be guessing where the puck should be, where you should be in the defensive zone. These are things you should have down pat, and tonight they did not look like they had it. Well, and a three-day break shouldn't be crippling and completely derail you. No. Every single team had, had and no. I'm not saying that, every every single team had the, the exact the break. same break. But the, the thing is, teams that were on winning streaks didn't want the break. Teams that were losing wanted to break. And, and that's the thing right now. The teams that were struggling coming in, they could not wait to stop playing hockey for a couple of days and regroup. The teams that were playing well, they didn't want that disruption because everything was going their way. Uh, it's not an excuse, but it, it happens. And, and unfortunately for the Oilers, they have not responded well enough uh, to, the, uh, to the teams they're playing against since the break. And because of that, they find themselves being passed or being further behind certain teams in the standings. Jets win easily tonight, 5-0 over the Oilers. So yesterday they had a practice that focused almost entirely on the penalty kill, except for, Rob, the drills you come out where you just get skating and a few passes with your line mates. And the Jets go two for three uh, (laughs) on the man advantage. Uh, The tip in by Connor with five seconds left on the power play. And then the other one was actually on the rush. Nurse uh, tried to do a sweep check at the line and missed, and the Jets come in and finish it. Well, when, when, when you're not good and, <laughs> I mean, you can practice all you want. And they're not going to get it, figure it out overnight and become a, a good penalty-killing unit. I mean, Nurse stands up at the blue line, doesn't take puck, doesn't take man. 
So now Winnipeg's got numbers coming to the bench, or coming into the zone, and you got Strom, a forward trying. He's one of the defensemen in front of the net. Uh, he doesn't know exactly who to take, and the rebound goes right to the wrong guy again. The tip, just not taking a stick away in the in the slot when the puck's coming in, not fronting the man. So little things, but when your team is losing, the little things seem to add up to big things. And right now, the Oilers are finding themselves. Uh, further and further out of where they want to be and where they need to be. All right, 5 nothing. Winnipeg take, uh, takes it tonight. We have more post-game reaction from both locker rooms coming. You can get us at 780-496-0063. We'll bring Rob onto the show. Hi, Rob. Thank you very much for calling. Thanks for taking my call. Happy New Year to you both. Thank you. Uh, hopefully the Oilers have a better New Year. <laughs> Two things. To me, the Oilers look a whole lot slower this year. And you think it's time to change their penalty killing and power play coaches? Well, that, those are good questions. First of all, they do look slower uh, when they play better. They haven't looked as slow nope. when they're actually moving the puck and putting it in the right spots on the ice. So I, I, we've kind of talked about this a lot, and it is a fair point by Rob, but I, I think there are ways to overcome a lack of physical speed. Mm-hmm. Um, though yes, they do. They might like. I don't think they're as fast as the Jets overall. Like the Jets play up tempo and get on you. The other question about changing coaches. I mean, well, I mean, I you, mean, they're all they're all involved in it. Jimmy Johnson is more PK. Woodcroft is more power play. You know, Todd really took the reins at the practice yesterday. I mean, you're not going to change in house. It's not like okay, Jimmy, you do the power no. play. Uh, you know. Ian Herbers, you're coming out of the press box and you're going to do the penalty killing. Uh, I, they're going to continue to look to see where they're making the mistakes defensively on the fi- uh, on the shorthanded situations and try to correct it. I think they, they know what they're doing wrong. It's a matter of when they're out there executing it properly. Because, I mean, there's no, there's no real secret in the NHL between power plays and penalty kills because you can watch anyone in the National Hockey League. So if you find, okay, who's the best five penalty killing teams in the league? Let's watch all their penalty kills, see what they're doing and try and emulate it. What it comes down to is, A, the type of player that, that you have, if you've got good enough players to do it, and the execution. And obviously the Oilers' execution isn't anywhere near good enough when they're shorthanded on home ice. And, and that's the mystifying thing. 56 point one percent now if i did the updated math correctly anyway it'll be below 57 is the penalty killing on home ice and it's 85.1 percent on the road that's that's the thing that's hard to fathom it's the exact same team doing the same thing exact and yes for the most part doing the exact same thing and it's a 30 percentage point different as a result the total has them last in the league but they got a top five road penalty kill and a distant last home penalty kill. And now I know that there's always uh, sometimes uh, a difference between home and road power plays or home and road penalty kills but usually the team struggles more on the road. It, it is, as you say, baffling how you could have that big a discrepancy and it's your home penalty killing that is the one that struggled. So uh, honestly, I, again, they're, they obviously know how to penalty kill properly because they're doing it on the road which is usually much harder. They somehow have to figure out why they're not doing it on home ice. Five nothing. Jets win over the Oilers. Penalty killing continues to be what we're looking for for an adjustment of the game for the Alberta College and Association of Chiropractors. If it hurts, see a chiropractor. Visit albertachiro.com. It's eight oh six. We'll welcome Alex to the open line. Hello, Alex. Hey, Alex. Do we have you? Okay. Hello. Oh, yeah, is this Alex? Yes, it is. Yes. Go ahead. You're on. Well, that was pretty painful. 
watching that game tonight, you know, 5 nothing, getting booed off home ice. Man, you know, I, I looked at uh, after the break, they had 10 games and 18 nights and all against the West. And, you know, you're thinking, man, where I think we're back. And then you lose three games in a row here, and then you're going to try to get back to 500. You look at the schedule, they got to win the next two just to get back to 500. Then they go on a five-game road trips, and two of those games, I think, are back-to-back. And, uh, hey, man, it's painful. It's just a painful season to watch. I mean, I purposely haven't phoned up very much lately. Well, I was in Mexico for a bit, but because I've been on the air lots, you know, this year 10, 10 or 11 times, and all I've done is been on a big rant and, uh, you know, whined and blamed everyone and this and that. But, um, you know, I don't know. There's no excuses. I don't like to hear excuses, you know, whether it's from the coach or from – Announcer saying, you know, about the uh, and my respects to uh, Rob Brown and and to every and, and all the team because I love your show and I love all what you guys bring to the table. And uh, but when I hear about Christmas break coming off the Christmas break and you know whatever, hey, they lost three games in a row. I could see uh, the Winnipeg game in Winnipeg, but the last two, and, you know, and uh, I, I feel sorry for the fans. I mean, I wasn't there. I live in Penticton. I used to live in Alberta and. You know, I buy the NHL ice package, you know, and because uh, I'm a diehard Edmonton Oilers fan. And but man, you know, at New Year's Eve, and those fans are putting five hundred dollars down for a pair of seats, and you know how much money it costs for food there. And then they gotta listen to me on the radio well, when yeah, they're going might, home. But. That, might, that might be the most painful part. You're right. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Happy, happy New Year. I know. Year. I, I deserve thank, it. Thank you very much for calling. That is Alex from Penticton at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Okay, Jets win at five nothing. More calls in a couple of minutes. Let's go to the Winnipeg Jets dressing room and hear from the victorious head coach. This is courtesy BDO First Call Debt Solutions, Bankruptcies and Consumer Proposals, Licensed Insolvency Trustees. Here's Paul Maurice. Oh, we don't have Paul Maurice. Well, let. Let's. Oh, we have Todd McClellan. I'm sorry. All right. Let's go and grab Todd McClellan. Here we go. Um, obviously, especially playing at home here at this time of the year when we had something going good uh, pre-Christmas, we were on a roll. We felt good about ourselves, but um, that doesn't happen automatically. You got to show up, and you got to, uh, as I said, you got to at least attempt to outwork the other team. And we had none of that today, so um, it's uh, it's concerning. Todd, you met your effort. You know, for the most part of this month, has been pretty good. The one element that has struggled basically all of the calendar year in 17, your penalty kill again tonight, uh, you know, two bulls on three opportunities. I know you spent a lot of time working on it. What other than video and keep rehashing has to happen for this to improve? Because, like, it's at a level that's one of the worst we've ever... Yeah, it is. Um, certainly on home ice. And, uh, you know, other than video and personnel and systems and practice time, there's nothing else. So we're, we're trying to tap into all of those. You saw some different penalty killers tonight, uh, than we've had. Schlepp, Strom, those type of guys got to, to penalty kill where they haven't in the past. We're trying to make some adjustments to our systematic play. Um, so we're trying to adjust or, or tap those four areas, but those are the four areas that you have. That's it. Todd, the dynamic in the dressing room, their search for answers, holding each other accountable, all those things that a team does itself to try and pull itself out of this. Can you describe what you see from this group? The personality it has, uh, I mean, it's been better lately, but is that lacking in this group in any way? No, it's been much better lately. Um, you know, obviously tonight we're really disappointed as a group with the effort and the commitment level and all that type of stuff. And 
uh, we can't afford, as I talked earlier this week, to have those types of games and just write them off and, and be in the dog days. Um, you know, I think the character and everything is there. They've shown that they've been able to claw their way back into this. Uh, tonight was a very disappointing uh, game from our club, but uh, I'm not going to take one big brush and swipe the, the month and a half of hockey we've played lately with that same brush. Um, tonight's brush is very disappointing, though. When a team can do it some nights and then other nights it doesn't, doesn't that, though, speak to the determination that maybe it isn't quite what we think it might be? Well, um, you know, you have a point there. And uh, consistency of commitment and effort is really important to be a top-notch team. And uh, we didn't have it for the first month, month and a half of the season. We began to develop it and evolve it and grow it to the point where we felt confident again about bringing it every night. Uh, we've gone into the break. We haven't won in the three games. I think we've got one of six points. Um, and uh, the efforts kind of wavered a little bit up and down. So the consistency not there to begin with in the regular season grew and got back to where it needed to be. Now it's taking a bit of a dip. Uh, so we'll be challenged over the next two or three days to get back to where we were uh, pre-Christmas. Dad, was there any thought after 40 minutes? Yes, there was. And what was the reason to keep it? We just, we just wanted our group that started the night to finish the night. We were all in it together. Okay. All right, that's head coach Todd McClellan. Oilers lose 5 nothing to the Jets. There was his reason for not putting Brassois yeah. in. What do you think? That makes sense. I, I, it, I mean, it's not going to make a difference uh, uh, on the game. The only reason you would put Brassois in is to get him some ice time uh, because you are probably going to use him on the road trip, as the one gentleman who called in said. They got a couple back-to-back games, so maybe it lets him see see the, the, the puck a little bit and get some game time situation. Um, but I know that Talbot would not want to be pulled at that at that juncture. He'll want to finish the game out, and they they want to start and finish with the same group. And I mean, to me, that's good enough reason. It it, it doesn't affect the game, and I don't think it affects anything in the future whether they pulled him or not. All right. So the Oilers down to seventeen, nineteen, and three on the season. I mean, you could you could he- hear kind of the exasperation in McClellan's voice, and you could hear him say in words, "Okay, we don't throw out the last month and a half of hockey when we've mm-hmm. been playing a little better." But he also, it still sounds like he's wondering where does this come from after showing signs of playing more controlled, responsible hockey. Well, here here's the problem: if you go around the National Hockey League right now, all the teams will have a night like this. The best teams in the NHL, the, whoever the top one, will have a night like this. And their coaches will be able to say, you know what, it's a one-off, we're going to be better. The problem for the Oilers is they had such a horrible start to the season. Yeah. So now they have this really pretty good month going on. And even the, uh, th- when they were 7-3 and one or whatever, 7-3, two of those w- losses they should have won. They badly outplayed the teams that they lost to. So they'd been playing great hockey. So they come and they have this little blip here, and you're like, you know what, it's okay. We're going to get through this. All teams go through it. The problem for the Oilers is they were so bad at the beginning of the year, and it wasn't games that they should have won or could have won. They were just bad, and they were not playing to anywhere near where they needed to be. So now when they have this little blip, which most teams have, it is magnified because they can't afford to have these blips. They can't afford to have a two- or three-game step back because they put themselves in such a poor position after a slow start to the season. Yeah, I mean, they're in a spot now if they lose four or five, five of seven, 
it's pretty much over. Yeah. Well, like, because like, like and like we talked about off the top, you you make up no ground in the month of December. No. Like, the only positive you can say is you didn't lose any, but that's yeah, not that's, that's not, not a positive given where they started. And the, the the one positive that everyone was looking at, and we've talked about of them, all of these conference and divisional games that they're having right now, and they can make hay because they're all four point games. If they struggle in these, well, all of a sudden playing divisional and conference games are the worst thing that could possibly happen because every game they're dropping behind two more points and if all of the it, it seems like in the National Hockey League when all the division conference teams play together like when the Oilers are playing against division and conference teams so is everyone else in their division and conference so there's always a team in their division always a team in the Western Conference that are gaining points tonight uh, San Jose is playing against Dallas and Calgary is playing against Chicago so one of those teams is going to gain two points on the Edmonton Oilers so that's the problem right now that the Oilers face, and that's where they could find themselves by mid-January in a place that they can't dig themselves out of because all these teams, somebody is going to gain points every night. So if they go on a bit of a spin right now, they're going to find themselves uh, looking at draft picks. Calgary just went up 2 nothing on Chicago, by the way. 780-496-0063. Jets over the Oilers 5 nothing. We'll welcome John to the show. Hey, John. Hi, good evening. Happy New Year, fellas. Thanks. Anyways, me and Robert discussed it. I still think they need a left winger, a right winger, and the defense is so makes so many little mistakes. Now, I don't care what sport, you should be winning 50% of the time if you have any talent at all. If you're really talented, it should be 75-25. And I think the worst trade they made in the last five years is giving Taylor Hall for Larson. That was terrible. Yeah, but having said that, there's nothing you can do about that now. That's a year and a bit away. So you can only deal with what you have here. And what they had here was a team that was good enough last year to go to Game 7 in the second round. And they were expecting to do that much, if not more, this year. So whether Hall was here or not, it, it's, it's irrelevant because he's gone. They've somehow got to find what they've got here and be better with, what the, with the players that they have on the roster currently. All right, John, thanks a lot for calling. No goals for the Oilers tonight, so our fill-the-net total for Booster Juice and the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation remains at $2,825. Booster Juice giving 25 bucks to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation for every goal the Oilers score throughout the season. We have Andy on the line as well. Jets win at 5 nothing. Hey, Andy. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing okay. Good. Um, about tonight, uh, somebody said a stat that Edmonton hasn't won uh, New Year's games since 1985. Yeah, I can get you the updated stat. Uh, they are 0-12-4 on New Year's Eve since then. Obviously, they don't play every year. Yeah, so uh, for tonight, I'll give the guys a pass. Um, my problem last year with the team, uh, and this problem I have with the team this year is the same problem. It's the coaching staff. Last year, I thought McCollin was, uh, during the regular season, he was changing the lines up every game. He was doing a lot of stuff. Maybe that's his style. It worked for him last year. This year, I noticed he's he's coaching a little bit differently. He's not changing things as much as he was, but the changes that he, he is making, they don't seem to add up. One of the problems I have with Todd McCollin is player evaluation. And I'm just going to bring up Jesse Pugliarby. Here's a guy that, that 
I thought should have made this team from the start, didn't, came into the team, uh, has been playing well, uh, has been scoring at a pretty good clip. I'm always wondering uh, if he was playing on the number one power play uh, with his regular line mate, Connor McDavid, how many more goals he might have right now. So I'm kind of feeling sorry for some of the guys in the Oilers because I kind of feel like the, the coach is kind of not understanding his players and he's getting these wrong, these lines wrong. Now, I'm not a coach, but my brother is, and my brother has come up with some lines and he's wondering why you're not instituting a pair system for those top three lines. So for him, he wants to see Dreisaitl and Maroon together. He wants to see Nugent Hopkins and Luchik together, and he wants Pooley Arby and McDavid. Now, the wingers on those three lines, you can change up, but the core of those lines, and let's go back to the old Oilers, since we're talking about 85. We all knew it was messy. And no, Anderson. we're not going back there. You can't bring up that point, Andy. It's not yeah. relevant. Skip okay, that so, point. But, you, so, but you, the, to the, the pairings that you had, the others more or less have done that. Uh, I mean, Lucic, well, Lucic and, and Nugent Hopkins were line mates all, for most of this this, this year, Maroon and uh, Drysaddle were line mates for most of this year because they were playing with Connor McDavid. And now, since Pulleyarvi's come up, he's majority the majority of the time he has been with Connor McDavid. So I mean, that in the National Hockey League, you're right. They they go pairs most of the time nowadays. If their if if their team has the players that could that are capable of doing that, and those have been their pairings. Um, I, I don't I don't think that the the Oilers lost tonight had anything to do with the line combinations. I think the Oilers tonight it didn't matter what lines they put together. They were losing battles. They were losing um, races. They, they they were asleep in their own zone when the puck was on the other team's stick. And that 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 isn't about who you're playing with. That's simply the other team was a was better than you tonight. And the Jets, I mean, they had different lines tonight because they had injuries, and they were able to play with their different line mates and, and, and find well find the back of the net five times and probably could have found it three or four more times if Talbot hadn't made a couple of big saves. So uh, I, to me, I, I don't think it, it's line combinations. Most teams change their lines up all the time as well. Um, I think it's the lines when you're playing together, no matter who you're with, you, you've got to compete. And I don't think the Oilers competed well enough and their thought process on the ice was good enough to beat a t- Winnipeg team that, despite injuries, was still a pretty good hockey club. I do think, though, and Andy, we're going to finish the play with you in a second here. I, I do th- I do think regardless of how they're searching for combinations with wingers, they, they don't have enough depth on the wings. And that's what we and, talked about right from the beginning. And that's been a problem yep. the, the whole year. Now, I know somebody brought up the hall for Larson trade. Fine, it was a year and a half ago. Larson did his job last year. And I think we knew Everly for Strom was going to be a downgrade. Yep. So then you haven't had Kajula doing much. You haven't had Slepyshev really doing anything. Uh, you have had Puliyarvi coming on. And... Um, Maroon is really, really Maroon's slowed down. Maroon's really dropped off yeah. from from uh, from last year. Lucic has been consistent. Uh, consistent. Yep. I yep. mean, he, he gets he gets points and and he does what he does. But they're not getting a lot of goals from the way. And actually, Kerr has been maybe better than expected. But still, he's going to score in the teens. It's not like he's well, scored. Yeah, Maroon he's scored he's gone year. up, whereas Cassian's gone down from from last year. Right. Cassian hasn't been as good as he was last year, and Kerr has been better. All right, Andy, we're going to finish the play. We're looking to give you an eight-day parking pass to Jet Set U Park, brought to you by Jet Set Parking. Park cheap and easy. Visit jetsetparking.com. 
And now it's Matt Hendricks, the one-time Oiler, off to Ben Sherrod, who carries the puck into the zone for the Jets. The Dano drop pass wide open. Backdoor, one-timer score. What a feed from Hendricks to Dano. And the Jets take a 1-0 lead at 2.34. Andy, we got a question for you about Marco Dano. He'd sure. been a healthy scratch for how many games? <laughs> 10 or 30? It's a multiple choice. 10 uh, or 30? I believe... Yeah, I believe I read it was 30 today. It absolutely was 30. That's pretty Seriously? amazing. 30? Yeah, it comes in, scores in the first three minutes well, back. I, I'm glad that he knew the answer because I would have given him the hint the other well, way. Well, we'd mentioned it a couple times, so I was hoping Andy was paying attention. Andy, stay on the line. Thanks a lot. You win, finish the play. Good way to finish your 2017. Not a good finish for the Oilers. They are routed. And I mean routed. You said it well after the second period. It was 4 nothing Winnipeg, and Rob, you said the score flattered the Oilers. It did. And it did. I mean, Armia missed an open side on a rush. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, Talbot gives up five. I don't know well, <laughs> what, it, what he could have done. If you look at the last two games, the, Talbot's given up nine goals in his last two games, and you can't fault him in the games. So that shows you the number of grade-A scoring chances that the Oilers are giving up. Backdoor, wide-open nets. So I know it's kind of funny. You and I are here watching. There's five seconds to go in the Sweden-Russia game right now. It's tied in the third period, and the Russians had to pull their goalie because they're trying to win the game in regulation. You don't see that very often. But Sweden-Russia going to overtime now in the World Juniors. Sweden now clinches first place in that division. All right. We'll give, uh, I guess we'll give Talbot the fourth star of the game for Missioner Allen Auctioneering. Check out maauctions.com for industrial and automotive sale dates. The three stars as picked in-house. Obviously, all Jets, Connor, Dano, and Hellebuck, who gets the shutout tonight. Hellebuck now on the season. 21 wins, 4 losses, 5 OT slash shootout losses. Not bad for a guy that they had as their backup goalie. They went and signed a goaltender to be Mason, to be their starter this year. He got off to a poor start. Hellebuck has come in and it's stolen the job. And how about him tonight? What do you have, 35 saves, was it? Yep. 35 save shutout. He only gets third star on the well, night. Yeah, exactly. 780-496-0063. We'll bring Dunk on the line. Hi, Dunk. Hey, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you guys. Thank you. It's uh, The game tonight, were, to me, was uh, a tough game for, and Rob knows what kind of games I he's played it, we played it, and uh, we know that, uh, and, and uh, my question is to Rob, uh, if that would have been you going in after the first parade, how would you felt? Oh, I would have felt horrible. I, there, there's no worse feeling than when you know that you've uh, underperformed. And you're walking down the hallway back to the dressing room. I mean, you don't even, you're not even so much worried about what the coach is going to come in and say to you because you already know it yourself. You hear the, the displeasure in the, the fans. You know that your coach, you can't even look him in the eye. You walk down there with your teammates because you know that, knowing that you didn't give what you needed to give in a game that was so important. So you, you feel horrible. And then uh, the, what you want is you want to get back out there quickly and, and, and make amends. Yet the Oilers, in the second and third, it seemed like it was almost like the Keystone Cops that, where they just one mistake compounded to two mistakes to, to three. A puck would always bounce the wrong way. And, and you just don't know how to get back on track. The Oilers now somehow have take some time over the next 48 hours and figure out how to get it back on track because the LA Kings are playing every bit as good as the Winnipeg Jets and they're coming to town and all these teams right now want to push points between themselves and a team that's out of the playoffs. 
That is their goal. It's one team further away from them trying to take their spot in the playoffs. So every team, they come in, they see a, a struggling Oilers team, which they've been struggling the last three. They want to take full advantage of the Edmonton Oilers struggling. So you look for the LA Kings and then the Anaheim Ducks to come in here and put their best foot forward because they want to put distance between themselves and the Oilers in the standings. 5 nothing. Winnipeg takes it. Somebody texted me and said, do we turn on the Japanese Village goal light when the other team scores five? We do not has to be the Oilers, then we do turn on the Japanese Village Goal Light on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com, and you can print up a coupon for a free appetizer, three Japanese Village locations in Edmonton, downtown, south side, and north side. Okay, let's go down to the Jets' room. I do believe we have Paul Maurice now for BDO First Call Debt Solutions, Bankruptcies and Consumer Proposals, Licensed Insolvency Trustees. Well, Coach, you had to be pretty happy with the way that game started off for your club tonight, didn't it? Yeah, a better start than our, I think our two previous games, and uh, thought we were pretty consistent with our game right through. What did you like from Marco Dano's return other than the, the goal he was able to score so quick? Well, I'll take that first, and the energy that comes from it. You know, that puts your bench in a real good mood. Marco and, and, and Sean have been out an awfully long time and, and worked hard and did it all right. That's about as difficult a situation you can put a professional athlete in. Uh, comes in and scores, so he feels like it's important that they feel like they can contribute big goal, game winner. So it, it was nice for the bench. What did you like about the defensive effort, Paul? It seemed like they had chances yeah. to go down a little bit. I thought our sticks were really good. That was important. We uh, we did a nice job for the most part from there into ours against a really dynamic skating team. So we didn't have too too many broken uh, or odd man rushes that were dangerous. We still had more than we'd like, but that's what you get when you play Edmonton. And then our defensive sticks were really good. come out energized after the break, Paul. I mean, you give him the break, the game yeah, before the break. I also, think so you know, his number's good. Like he's played a lot of hockey, but it's it was our schedule more than anything else because he's you know he's in that low 60s prorated for the season, which is a good number for a guy playing as well as he is. We got into a heavy grind there, and he played a lot of games when when Steve got hurt. So yeah, he looks strong. He looks good. Um, we got a. We paid for it in the last two months. We've got, and it has nothing to do with the quality of the opponent, but we've got some rest time here in January, and that'll be good for our team. Talked about balance a lot. Now you get six goal scorers, six guys, 10 plus. I mean, what does that mean, and what does that say about the balance you've been able to establish with your group? Well, we've got that good offensive depth, and, and you got a guy like Brian Little who hasn't hit that mark yet, so we still think there's more more there. I think you see it right up. Like the, 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 when you look at Perot and Armia and what they were able to do tonight. I thought Joel was just outstanding tonight. Um, you can pull two guys off what was you at your fourth line in terms of rotation, and, and they can make a, an impact. There's some nice skill there. Wouldn't that be you three times last year and went yeah. to the Western Conference? You returned the favor and, and sweep them three games. Is, can you take stock in that? or Every year is so different. You know, We like the way we're playing. Um, they're still a, they're a real dangerous team. I mean, anything in the offensive zone, you're you're never comfortable against them. We we got on the right side of it. I think tonight was our best performance. Uh, interesting though, the, the the win here was maybe one of the most important wins of the year for us because it exercised some demons that we were dealing with in terms of giving up leads. But uh, they still got a hell of a team over there. Talk about moments of growth in players, Kyle Connor. I mean. Reed, that's head coach Paul Maurice. All right, Kyle Morris working the visitors' dressing room for us tonight. Well, certainly is different from one year to the next. Uh, Jets look like the Oilers did last year. 
And the Oilers look a little bit like uh, the Jets did last year. Oilers swept Winnipeg last season. Jets do it to Edmonton this time around. If you're on hold, we're getting to you right after the headlines. 5-0, Jets take it. Canadian Brewhouse overtime open line from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre. This is the Canadian Brewhouse overtime open line. Now from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre, Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chan. All Winnipeg tonight. They dominate the Edmonton Oilers 5-0 as we check the advantage trailer rentals out of town scoreboard. Tampa Bay wins 5-0 in Columbus. Detroit over Pittsburgh 4-1. Colorado taking it to the Islanders tonight. It is 6-1 late in the third. Man, some blowouts today. Dallas routed San Jose 6-0. Tyler Pitlick got his seventh of the two goals to get up to seven on the season. The Flames lead Chicago 3-2. Nine minutes left in the second period. It was, uh, I believe, wasn't it 3 nothing? It, it was, was 2 nothing. I didn't see it. It was 3 nothing. Jordan Osterley has scored for the second straight game. Yeah, I can only hope to contain him now. Golden Knights are 26-9-2. They beat Toronto 6-3. William Carlson has 20 goals, and he got a hat trick tonight for Vegas. Do you have him in your hockey pool? I do not. No, I, <laughs> I'm not sure how many people did, but it would have been a really good pickup. Anaheim over Arizona 5-2. In the American Hockey League, the Oilers farm team, Bakersfield winning 3-1 over the Flames farm team. Stockton 3-1 the final. World Juniors, what happened in the game? It is, they're going to a shootout. Shootout. Russia and Sweden in a shootout. Okay. Czech Republic beat Switzerland 6-3. Switzerland plays Canada in the quarters on Tuesday. United States, late goal to beat Finland. That was an exciting game, 5-4 the United Very States. Very good game, and I think they actually, they might play Russia. If Russia loses here in a shootout, the U.S. might play Russia. I'm not sure. I think they do. We'll have know. to check. I think that sounds right. And Slovakia over Denmark, 5-1. NFL Cleveland goes 0-16. Lost 28-24 to Pittsburgh. I will, actually, I watched that game. It was it was close. But Pittsburgh's dressed all, or sat all their they good sat players. They quite a few guys, yeah. Yes. That, uh, we should say this as well. There was a game in the NFL today that ended 6 nothing. <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys got, it was a touchdown with no extra point. So it wasn't two field goals. It was one, there was one scoring play in the entire game. That'd be a boring game. Especially well, in Philadelphia, it's not, I don't think they played a lot of their guys anyway. So Anyway, here at Rogers Place, 5 nothing. Jets over the Oilers. You can get us at 780-496-0063. Is this my old friend Jared calling in tonight? Yes, Rob. Hello, Jared. How's it going? Good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're coming through fine. It's good to hear from Uh, you. I I just got a quick comment, and this is just my extremely uneducated opinion of why the Oilers are so inconsistent, is that when I look at a guy like Connor McDavid, and let's say his skating ability is 100%, and when he doesn't have his legs he maybe drops to 90%. But out of 82 games in the season, almost every game he's skating well. And that also goes for guys like Nugent Hopkins and Drake uh, Kajula. But the Oilers have guys like, let's say, Milan Lucic, Pat Maroon. Now let's, let's call their skating ability 70-75%. When they're at that level, they're not bad. They're competent NHL skaters. The problem is the Oilers have about six or seven forwards that maybe only two-thirds of the games do they have their legs and when they don't have their legs the drop off is from like 75 percent to like 40 percent there are nights when pat maroon milan lucic even leon dry settle yes he pull yarvi martha testu almost don't look like they're moving out there 
And if you look at a guy like in the past, a guy like Brent Sutter, he and Rob, you played with Brent Sutter, correct? Yep, I did. And he was a strong skater, but I don't think he was the fastest. But I remember watching him when he was playing in, with the Islanders in Chicago. It didn't seem to matter if it was game one or game eight in the Stanley Cup finals. The consistency in his skating game was always there. And I think that's a key component. And I think that's why they're – and it doesn't matter if it's Lucic or Maroon or McDavid. When they are skating well, they play their best. It's irregardless of what their skating ability is. But there's too much drop-off and too much inconsistency. And I don't necessarily – it's not the effort part about them. It's just they are not strong natural skaters that allow them to bring a consistent skating game every night. So when Milan looks good, he's, he's skating towards the net. He's running guys over. But there's other nights in Maroon, they just can't get to the puck. And I think you can talk about hockey sense and everything, but you've got to have the puck. You've got to get to the puck before you can do, it, do anything with it. My question for Rob is, how did you find, like, some games you have your legs and some games, you know, it's like in their cement. How did you find that affect your game? Well, I wasn't a very good skater, and it's true. There, there would be guys that, if they were at 80% or 90%, they were still really good because they were fast. If I was at 80% of my skating ability, well, I was in trouble because I, I was not a very good skater, and it, it affected me. Big players or players that are slow afoot always have to have their legs moving. Because when Connor McDavid stops skating, he still glides faster than most people. <laughs> and it's true, just watch him, he still glides. When a big player, uh, say on the Oilers, a Lucic or Maroon, or when I played and I stopped my feet from moving, then I just came, became a, a statue out there. I stood still, and I became very ineffective. So you are right uh, when it comes to... not a, Your legs aren't always there. And I remember Mark Reck and I used to play together and we'd be in warm-up, and about seven, eight minutes into warm-up, we'd always stand, because we're both right-wingers, stand by the boards, and we'd talk, how do your legs feel today? They're not there. Okay, you know, you got to get them going. you got to get it going. And you knew in warm-up how your legs were going to be for the game, and you had to adjust your game, because sometimes, okay, i got to play a smarter game today because I don't have the legs. They're just not here today, and it affected me more than it affected a lot of other players because I wasn't a very good skater, and you're absolutely right. So the, the players that are slower afoot, if they don't have, a, if they don't have their legs it's going to affect them much more than it would affect a Kajula or, or a McDavid or anyone who's fleet of foot. Good yeah. point by you. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it by Jared as well. I mean, if you say McDavid is, is 100 when, when he's, he's skating well, I don't know, you'd have to go in. I'm sure somebody has all the NHL 18 ratings, but, but, I mean, <laughs> but that's an interesting way to put it. If McDavid's 100, maybe this guy's a 70, but then if he's at 70% of that 70, uh, and, and, and that's been, when we talked about it a bit earlier with another caller, that's been a problem for the Oilers is uh, they aren't uh, they have fast players. I don't think they have team good team speed overall. The days they look like a quicker team, um, they make smart decisions with mm-hmm. the pucks. They're able to forecheck. They're able to read and react off each other a lot better. And it's also quality of the opponent. Yes. They look faster against Montreal because I don't think I mean Montreal's Montreal got good. shut out. I watched most of Montreal, Florida last night. I, I, Montreal might have had. Montreal had about as many good scoring chances as the Oilers had tonight. That's how that's how they looked. And then the, you play a team like the Jets, who are fast, and you're bottled in the whole game. Yeah, no, you're right. And a lot of it is y- your thought process. If you if you're not fleet of foot, you better think faster than the guy you're playing against. You better anticipate better. You better be very good with support. You're gonna have to have guys support you. Your teammates are gonna have to support you because you're gonna need that help. If you move the puck quick and are able to get it to a guy, then the next guy jumps over for support and you move it quickly to him, you don't have to be as fast. But when one of those guys in that train 
is derailed, well, now you're in trouble because you're a team that's not as quick and the players aren't all in the same sink. Then you're going to look very slow. And that's what you saw tonight, especially in the Oilers' zone zone, is the first guy would try to make a play, but he didn't have the support. And now you're chasing because now that guy's he's late getting to his spot. Then the third guy's late getting his spot, and the Winnipeg Jets were just feasting on that. Yep. Their speed was feasting on the lack of support the Oilers had in their own zone. So it was, uh, in all honesty, it was a good eye-opener to the Edmonton Oilers of where they need to be. Because yep. the Winnipeg Jets are a good hockey club with four good hockey players out of the lineup. So when they get those players back, they're going to be an even better hockey club. So it's a good eye-opener of what you need to be capable of doing at this level if you want to be a playoff team. 5 nothing Jets win easily. That New Year's Eve stat, the Oilers have played 16 New Year's Eve games since they last won one in 1985. They're 0-12-4 in those games. All time since joining the NHL on New Year's Eve, Edmonton is 2-13-4. We had a trivia question before the game about the 4-3 win over the Flyers on December 31st, 85. Who got a hat trick for the Oilers in the game? I gave the clue. It was one of the obvious ones. Uh, Yari Curry. Even more obvious. Wayne? <laughs> yes. I thought that was too easy. Doug, See, you fooled me. Yeah. Got to end the year with an easy question. Doug knew that. He got a $50 gift card to Buffet Royale Carvery, brought to you by Armor Insurance. Protect your car, home, and business with Armor at armorinsurance.ca. I'll, I'll come up with a really hard trivia question on Tuesday. Yeah, just with Actually, all the, that's won't. what all the hungover people need is something really well, hard to think January about. Well, by January 2nd, you should be not still drunk from December 31st. Well, you know what? Don't be so judgy there, okay? Well, I'm not being judgy. That's I'm a little just, judgy. Don't a lot of people go back to work January 2nd? Not the drunk ones. <laughs> <laughs> you, you caught me there, huh? <laughs> 780-496-0063. We have Aaron standing by. Good evening, Aaron. Hey, guys. How are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good. Good, good. I uh, just wanted to make a quick comment. It was actually, uh, obviously, a pretty rough game, as we all saw. But one thing that really impressed me was in the second period when uh, Kajula decided to start taking things into his own hands, start uh, throwing the body around, especially being a smaller player the way he is. It was really... Uh, nice to see him getting fired up but on the same coin it didn't really seem to resonate with the rest of the players so obviously we don't have the benefit of being in the dressing room so I don't think there's anything we can really take away from that but hopefully it's a good example for the players going forward into uh, 2018. Well no you're right and I, I remember that shift and Kajula he ran about four guys that started at center he hammered a guy at center then he carried on in the offensive zone and the others had a really good shift off that because Winnipeg started getting frazzled in their own zone. They started throwing the puck away because it just seemed like Kajula was everywhere out there. But the momentum didn't catch. And it didn't. the next line didn't come out and continue to do that. And, and they didn't start rolling over. So Kajula did start it. But unfortunately, you're right, the, the rest of the teammates did not pick up on it. And eventually Winnipeg took back the momentum. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and Kajula, I mean, he got that big hit against St. Louis and then wound up getting, getting the game-winning goal. You know, it... And I, we often hear that, Robin, and you see a guy do that, mm-hmm. and you think, why don't why don't they do that more often, whether it's Edmonton or whatever team that's falling behind? I mean, it does take some energy to get in there and hit. You don't, you don't always get the puck, but you might fire yourself or somebody else. True. The, the good players and the good teams don't put themselves in a position to get hit, though. They move the puck better. They, uh, when, say, Winnipeg, for example, tonight... They have the puck. They'd move it quickly before they could get hit. And then you start chasing the next guy, and he moves it. And all of a sudden, you start chasing guys, and you're chasing them all the way down to your zone. 
Uh, I mean, it's like, well, why don't guys hit Gujo or Patty Kane or, or, or Connor McDavid? Like, just hit them to slow them down. Well, because they're smart. They don't put themselves in that position. Uh, could the Oilers have been more physical then? Absolutely, they could have. And there, did they miss some opportunities? Yes, they did. But a lot of the time, though, they were just chasing the Winnipeg Jets. They well, didn't have a chance. You're right, yeah. You can't hit a guy two seconds after he passed the puck anymore because you get a penalty. Uh, you know, but that's a, as an aside, that's one thing. I mean, a lot of people were off. And you remember a couple weeks ago, I, I interviewed a few enforcers, and they all yep. said, well, we don't like that there's no fighting. Because I interviewed guys as far back as the late 70s who were getting a lot of penalty minutes. In, in my mind... Like I, I got, I don't, I don't have any problem with fighting, but I can go to a hockey game and not see a fight for a couple of weeks, yep. and I don't feel like I miss anything. I do, and I know the game is still very physical, but it's more of that over top of the puck, mm-hmm. puck protection physicality. Now you have to be able to hold your ground, or you have to get in there and try to, try to worm your way in there, and almost lift a guy off the puck. But I miss a lot of the open ice body checking and the board rattling hits. You actually don't. To me, that's that. That's the biggest change, and that's what I miss most about the game when it comes to the the rough, aggressive play, if you want to call it. That. Yeah, you're you're right. It's a completely different game than it was before. Now you you, you wear guys down by being strong on them uh, in the corner. You just you, you weigh them down. You just your body weight on them. You. I mean, Adam Larson's a great example. He you, you don't see any you know teeth rattling hits out of him. But every time you leave the game after playing against the Larson, you feel it because every time you win the corner, he just he swallowed you. Uh, Darian Hatcher was the same type of player. Never had any huge open ice hits. But at the end of the night, you felt like you, you carried 230 pounds on your back the entire game. And that's how it is nowadays. And part of it is uh, the way the game is played. It's The players are so much faster. It's much harder now. As we saw Darnell Nurse try to stand up on that one penalty kill, the guy went right by him. So it's yeah. really hard to be able to stand up on a guy that's going so fast. Uh, it, it's a much cleaner game. They, they've taken a lot of the dumb stuff out and a lot of the big, you know, the checks that would bring everybody out of their seats that we had in the past are now penalties nowadays. So you can't do that. I mean, guys would have knees or hips involved or there'd be the high hits, and they've completely taken those out. So guys don't want to put their team shorthanded. They don't want to be suspended. Yeah. Uh, but I, I agree. I, I miss that. I mean, and when you, you when you see it is you see it in the playoffs. Like the Edmonton Oilers are a physical team compared to most of the teams in the league. But what we saw in the playoffs last year, all of a sudden it just got amped right up. And the Cassians and the well, Lutes and the Murray. one of the biggest yeah. hits of the series. So that's that because all of a sudden the refs become a little more lenient at what they allow to happen. So that's it's just it's hard to hit in open ice. Not many guys are very good at it. On the Edmonton Oilers, the only guy I think that is capable of making good open ice hits really is Benning on the back end. He's he's quite capable, and, and even then you only see it once every five or six or seven or eight games. Um, but I, I, I do appreciate that part of the game, and it was a, it's a fun part of the game to, to watch, and it is certainly a part of the game that, especially at playoff time, that can change momentum uh, uh, of not just a shift but a period of a game, and we saw that a number of times in the playoffs with the Cassian hits and the Maroons and the Luchichas. I remember a couple of years ago I said Scott Stevens couldn't have played in the NHL today, and I got a text from a listener who said, Reed, what are you talking about? He had 78 points one year. Good, excellent point. But he couldn't, have, he couldn't have hit that way. No, and, no. And uh, same sort of point. Paul Correa would not have come back to that game in 2003. Oh. He might have not been allowed back in that series. <laughs> well, well, he wouldn't they, have been back in that game. No, he wouldn't, he, have been no, he wouldn't back have been, in that No, game. absolutely not. He was out cold. 
came and, back and scored a goal. But back then, though, I mean, they give you. That's a not even that long ago. No. Like, I don't feel like 2003. Like we shouldn't talk about it. Like it's. It seems like, like a long. 1960s. But back then, I mean, you have a little <laughs> sniffing salt in the dressing room, and they'd ask you what your name is, and if you're anywhere close to getting it right, <laughs> yeah. they said, "All right, go on back out there." And sometimes they even write it on a piece of paper so that you can read it in front of the doctor. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it's a completely different. But it, it's it's safety nowadays. It's just it is a there are some big strong mean guys out there that if they hit you full speed like they used to in the old days i mean some guys won't be getting up off the ice they'll be getting carried off the ice so uh yeah scott stevens though he could still play nowadays he would change his game but he'd be very effective yeah, he, he was got a, suspended he, was, he, he like well he the hits that he did yes. some of the hits we celebrated he would now probably be suspended for. well yeah well he i i played against him once we were standing i stood in front of the net on the power play and to create room i cross-checked him from behind he turned around and speared me as hard as he could in the belly, and I was—I took a hospital. I took an ambulance ride to the hospital and spent the night in a New Jersey hospital. I, I think he might have got a two-minute slashing penalty, and I'm spitting up blood all night long. So yeah, no, it's—it's—it's a, it's, it's a much different game nowadays. I didn't know that happened to you, Rob. Well, I feel horrible. I brought all this up. Oh no, it's, it's all right. I got my therapist tomorrow. We're all good. Well, <laughs> your therapist works New Year's Day. Uh, yeah, if you've seen my life, yeah, I, need, <laughs> I have therapy. I got on speed dial. All right, I'm coming over today. Help me. Jets cruise past the Oilers 5-0, We'd love to hear from you. Brian has given us a call. Brian, Happy New Year. Hello. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, sorry about that. Actually, uh was at the game tonight and uh, just wanted to make a couple of comments. Uh, and first of all, uh, I would say that the, eff- the effort was its mostly execution and effort was lacking tonight with the Oilers. Um, they, they, sorry about that. <laughs> we got the dog. Well, the dog is the dog shouldn't be happy either. It was an effort <laughs> for the dogs by the Oilers. They might <laughs> but, have lost to a team of fast poodles tonight. Um, but what I what I wanted to finish, finish off what I was saying the, uh, the 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 lack of effort and it was the little stuff. Um, the 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 little battles in the corner. Uh, you know, going for pucks, the little passes. Winnipeg is a good team. You got to give them a lot of credit. But how do you fix that effort and the execution? Because to me, there was there was so little effort and enthusiasm. Um, you know, the Oilers when they when they're good, they're hitting, and you can you can see they just have that swagger. That was completely gone tonight, and and it's so frustrating as a fan to go see a game. Um, I'd like to hear your comments on that. Well, I think you hit on a lot there. Um, first of all, the battles, Rob, and you, you referenced this. How many important battles percentage-wise did the Oilers win tonight? Uh, well, uh, under 25%. Under 20, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, uh, every battle that meant something, that, that created a chance for Winnipeg or stopped a chance for Edmonton, the Winnipeg Jets won those. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets were much better on support. If you just Take, for example, the Winnipeg Jets forecheck. If the puck went into Sekra's side, there'd be a Winnipeg Jet guy on top of him right away. He couldn't make a play, so he throws it just behind the net to his partner. While his partner's back's turned looking for the puck, he'd have a Winnipeg Jet on him. So the next thing he's doing, he's just pushing it further up the boards, and a Winnipeg Jet would be there already. And eventually the puck would pop free, and the fourth Winnipeg Jet would come up pick the puck up. And it was just over and over and over tonight where the Winnipeg Jets, they always seem to have someone arriving at the puck just before the Edmonton Oilers arrived there. And when 
it was a one-on-one battle and it was close. A second Winnipeg Jet player came in and picked up the puck and took it to the net. And the one thing that Winnipeg was excellent at tonight that I don't think the Oilers were near as good is the transition. If the if there was a turnover, Winnipeg immediately went offensive. They immediately, and it wasn't just the guy with the puck. They would see there's a turnover, and all three guys and a fourth guy jumping up from the back end were going. And that's why the the, the, the odd man breaks that they got and the goals that they scored. There's a turnover, and all of a sudden it's a three-on-one. I mean, and, and we're not just talking uh, the Wheelers and the Lionese. The very first goal of the game, there's a turnover, and all of a sudden Hendricks and Dano, who hasn't played in 30 games, are jumping, and they have a three-on-one. And it was started five feet inside the blue line, and from the top of the circles down, they had a three-on-one because they were much quicker at realizing that a mistake had been made, and they transitioned. Where the Edmonton Oilers, they saw the mistake, and if you watch the overview camera, there's four Oilers watching the play unfold, none of them moving their feet. So the Winnipeg Jets were much better transitioning, and I think that was a key part of the reason why they were able to win this game and win this game quite easily. 5-0 the final. Let's go back down to the Oilers' room for GCL Diesel, serving oil country for 45 years with genuine diesel parts at wholesale prices. Here's Milan Lucic. It was like maybe outside of that stretch right before Christmas that this team has been kind of fragile this year, unable to maybe counterpunch like you did last year. Where do you think that comes from? How do you find that again? Why is it? I think... I think we just had a, you know, a, a chip on our shoulder last year where no matter what happened, we were going to, you know, nothing was going to phase us, nothing was going to bring us down. And, and like you said, I think it's been a little bit uh, different in that sense where we've been a lot more fragile where, you know, a goal like the first one tonight just completely brings us down and we're not able to fight back and create any momentum against it so um you know i i think for for a better part of this this month we we found it again uh you know you look at breaks sometimes they can be counterproductive uh you know three days off and we come back and you know we can't find uh the game that we had before the break but you know that's just excuses right now you gotta you gotta find a way uh to win some hockey games the one element that you guys had last year, rarely did you give up the easy goal you know, with that major error. And, you know, outside of that stretch earlier this month, that's really been a big problem. You know, even that first goal tonight, you know, kind of wide open, Cam, no chance. Their fourth goal, really, Cam, no chance. Why such big mental mistakes this year? I'm not sure. Uh, our our attention to detail and, and, and all that type of stuff uh, hasn't, been there like it was last year i think i think last year we were the best team analytically defending against the rush and not giving up goals off the rush and it seems like this year uh it's just breakdown after after breakdown and it's not like we haven't had video sessions and and talks and you know and all that type of stuff to try to rectify it it just comes down to the individual and making sure that uh those things don't continue happening Milan, how would you describe the the dynamic in here in terms of the search for answers and you guys and kind of holding one another accountable and, and all those sorts of things that happen on a team you know, that help pull a team out of something like this. How would you describe that dynamic in here? Uh, I mean, like I said, uh, taking away this loss, I think we had a really good month in the month of December and we, we showed that we can you know, start climbing our way back and, and and we got to get back to that, especially with a with a ton of uh, divisional games coming up, including next game. So uh, it's up to us, you know. It's it's 
it's everyone bringing their best, everyone paying attention to the detail, everyone having a jump in their step. And uh, like you said, we got to find a way to hold each other accountable, but but also not be, you know, I guess sensitive and fragile about it. We got to be a little bit more thick-skinned and and go out there and and start having fun again. So the Oilers uh, losing tonight 5 nothing to the Jets. They go 7-5-1 and in December. Looked like they could have a really good month when they were 7-3. and Instead, uh, average month, they re, as I mentioned earlier, they started the month of December seven points out of a playoff spot. They end it seven points out of a playoff spot. They've been shut out three times in their last ten games. Yeah, it's been feast or famine. They, they, they've had some big nights. They've chased some very good goaltenders, you know, all-star goaltenders in games by putting a lot by them early, and then they've played some goaltenders that are less heralded and, and not been able to put anything behind them. So uh, you just wish you had some of that puck luck spread out amongst the games. Some of those games you have seven, maybe you only need five and keep two in your back pocket. Uh, tonight, though, there, there's been games where they've been snake-bitten and probably deserved a better fate offensively I don't think tonight is one of those nights no, I think, not tonight at I all. think tonight exactly I think the scores pretty bang on to what the game was the Winnipeg Jets were a much better team tonight in this hockey game from start to finish seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three we have hermit on the line hermit thank you very much for calling hey guys happy new year thank you uh, the only thing I wanted to suggest uh, talk say is uh, when uh, you have football on they often talk to the coach uh, at halftime in the interviews. Mm-hmm. In hockey, I, I noticed they almost never do that. And I was thinking, uh, well, with most of the players, you just get the cliche responses. So why don't they talk to the coach? Maybe there's a reason we don't know about, but I they, just wanted to throw that out there. They, they, if you watch some of the American broadcasts, I think it, I'm not sure which Sometimes one. Sometimes they do it on they, the some, bench. They do, they do it on the and bench. And you get cliches. And you get cliches. They'll, yeah. they'll never, they're never going to give you an honest assessment or an honest answer during a game. It'll all be cliches. Yeah. It's a good question, though. No, you're I, right. About, especially and, in this day and age with the access and the cameras everywhere. Well, especially, too, with the, the guys. They usually have a the, the color guy is always between the benches, so it's easy for him to quickly get to the bench to do it. Uh, most coaches will not want to do it during a game. Uh, they they f- they feel they got enough to focus on. They don't really want to talk. I think most football coaches oh, don't uh, want to do and it. And baseball they, coach, yeah, told to do it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The one thing I like in baseball is they'll between innings they'll tape an interview with the manager in the dugout, and then, and play then they'll it. play it at the start of the the next inning, which is pretty cool. It's cool. The only baseball is just way more laid back. Yeah, so it's, it's easier, to, a little easier to talk to the coach because nothing really happens for long stretches where in a hockey game, the intensity is that much higher and they certainly would not want to. They would have to be mandated to talk to the, the media during a hockey game for, for them to ever start doing it. Yeah, again. interesting question by yep. Hermit. And I mean, I've, I've made this point several times. I'd love it if, if officials did post-game interviews. I don't know if it would help <laughs> with no, but, how the fans feel about some of the calls. You know, but I, I, I think it would because you would see what they see or, or, or what they think they see. Because there's some where you're sitting up here and like, okay, there's no way. How could you not see that? But afterwards, he says, well, you know what? I, I was blocked on that one. Or I actually just I clipped my skate and I was looking down. I think there was something on the ice. But then you also need to get an honest assessment of why he did it. Or, you know what, I've been following those two up and down the ice. And he just gave him a little tug in that end. So I let that go. So I let this go. So, yeah, I would love to. And then to, they have to be held accountable. And now referees are held accountable by their peers and by uh, the head of the, the refing. I don't know if it's a union or whatever because they that's whoever refs in the playoffs are the guys that 
are the better refs. They're yep. held accountable that way. But I would love to see them held accountable by the media and by the press and have to answer for some of the calls they make during a game. I think that would be a great idea. Oilers lose 5 nothing to Winnipeg tonight. We're coming back after the headlines. Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre. Live from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre. This is the Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line on Oilers Radio. 6.30 chair. Where the Oilers are trying to break it open here. McDavid takes a lead pass from Maru. In over the line, dry subtle. He'll turn and slug it down low for McDavid. The Oilers are trying to stretch Winnipeg out wide. Maroon centers one-timer. And Benning foiled by Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck, excellent tonight for Winnipeg. Well, all year, quite frankly. Gets the shutout tonight, his save of the game for the Alberta College and Association of Chiropractors. If it hurts, see a chiropractor. Visit albertachiro.com. Here's Hellebuck. How much of a lift is that for you and for the team when you see Marco Dano scoring that goal to kick off the game? Uh, you know, you, just, you feel for the guy. He's worked so hard and he's got such a positive attitude and he's a great team player and I'm very happy that he was able to get one tonight. You had a lot of work at points in tonight's game and then it kind of looked like it dissipated a little bit for a while. How did you stay focused in this one? Uh, just like I always do, keep my mind in it. And when the puck's in our zone, I do my movements. I make sure I'm not getting uh, lazy. And, I'm not relaxing too much. I'm reading the game, and at any second, I know there could be a shot. What stands out for you with the way the club played in your own half of the ice tonight? No, they, uh, they've been so good lately, and actually all year, but they keep it to the outside, and they let me see shots, and they're not getting too many deflections against me, and those, those things are really small details, but they're huge, and I think that makes the biggest difference. 21st win of the season for you and your, your team's in first place again. The Central Division is a nice way to end 2017, isn't it? Yeah, it's not bad. And <laughs> hopefully we can go to Denver and start the year right. How about going three and all? Reed, that's Connor Helbuck. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle Morris working the Jets dressing room. I was talking to someone who covers the Jets, and he described Hellebuck's play as big and boring. Nothing wrong with that <laughs> if you're a goalie. No, that's what you want, and, and I agree. He, he didn't look like he was swimming at all out there. He looked very in control, very confident, and when I can tell you from experience, when your goaltender looks and acts confident, it just it, it goes right through the bench, and you feel it, as, and you, you, you play freer. Because you're, there's no worry that you're going to get beat with a, with an ugly one or a soft one. So yeah, he, he he looks good. And if you are, if you could sum up the the Winnipeg Jets, why they are having the success they're having this year, it's goaltending. They haven't had it for a number of years. This year they got goaltending, and they've got the guys up front who have been consistent over the last number of years. But they haven't had anyone to backstop them. Stop them. Now they do. And they are uh, one of the best teams in the Western Conference, as we've seen now three times this year. 5 nothing. The Jets take it tonight. They sweep the season series from your Edmonton Oilers. Just updating the Advantage Trailer Rentals out-of-town scoreboard. There were a couple of games still in progress last time I did it. And as I say that, the website loads to one from several hours ago. It still had every game going on. Here we go. Flames are up 3-2 on Chicago early in the third. And uh, the Avalanche did finish off the Islanders 6-1. The Avalanche, one of the teams the Oilers have been on the verge of passing for the last three weeks. But uh, haven't been able to get by. So the Oilers are third last in the West. 37 points. Same number of points as Vancouver. The Oilers get placed higher on the regulation and overtime win tiebreaker. Uh, I mean, Colorado's not going away. I mean, they're three points out. 
An- Anaheim has the second wild card. Minnesota's a point back. Chicago is two back. Calgary's four back. Par- pardon me. Uh, Chicago's three back. Calgary four back. Winning tonight, uh, and then uh, the Oilers sitting there with 37. So it's it's this is an extremely difficult climb for the Oilers. As I mean, I I hate to sound pessimistic. They could they could play decent and be five to eight points out for the rest of the season. No, you're right because every time the Oilers play uh, a divisional team or a conference team, usually means there's two conference teams playing each other. So one of them's always going to get points, and we're seeing that tonight. Uh, the Oilers lose, and either Chicago or Calgary is going to pick up points on them, or possibly both if they go to overtime. So uh, you. Y- we used to always talk about in the dressing room at the beginning of seasons, the, the points that you gain at the beginning of the year are just as important as the ones in the last few games of the season. So you got to harvest them. And the Oilers didn't this year, and now they're chasing. And it's it, it's tough coming to the rink some days because you look at the standings, you're like, oh, we played so well for so long now, and we're still where we were. And, and you, you you get down, and, and, it, and it's hard. And the Oilers put themselves in that position, and now it, it is a huge hole they got to try and get out of that uh, they're going to need more than a 7-5-1 and one month yep. to be able to get back into a playoff hunt. 43 games left for the Oilers. They have 17 wins. I mean, they're going to have to win 24 of their final 43 to get to 41 wins, and then it'll depend on overtime points to see whether or, or not you get in. I mean, in the, in the West this year, you, you might get in with, with 94, 95, maybe even a little less. I mean, Anaheim has 44 and 40. So they're on pace for 90 or 91 points, and that's the second wild card right now. So it's not like one of those years where it doesn't look like one of those years where you're going to have to get to the high 90s to get in. So it's there, but like I said, the Oilers are probably going to have to win at least 24 of their remaining 43 games and not go 24 and 19 and no. get six or seven overtime They're going to need points. some loser points. But a team like Anaheim, uh, they've done a really good job hanging on with all their players injured. Yeah, I mean, they were, Getzlaff was out, Kessler was out, Fowler was out. Like, they had top-end players. Perry's out, and they're still hanging around. Once they get healthy, you're afraid that they're going to get on a little bit of a streak because we've seen in the past that they're capable of doing that. Uh, so, yeah, the Oilers... They're the kings of overtime losses. They're 18-14-8. and eight. So they only have one more win than the Oilers, but they're seven points ahead. Because they... They, they don't lose in regulation very get, often. Get that point. Get that game into overtime, and then they add up. And the Oilers are just... I mean, the one game, it was Connor McDavid's first time that they scored when they pulled a goalie at the right. end of the game. They scored two. But getting into overtime, stealing that extra point is huge because those points at the end of the season could be the difference between being an eighth or being in 10th or 11th. All right, we have George on the line. Oilers lose 5 nothing to the Jets. Hi, George. Hey, Reed. Hey. Hey, I was just I was just listening to you on the phone, and you were just talking about exactly what I was phoning you about. <laughs> Uh-oh, which part? The points or something else? Yeah, the points. The points. I just, uh, I'm not much of a stats guy, but I like to look at the big numbers, and it looks pretty, <laughs> it looks pretty bleak, eh? It looks tough, and I mean, like Rob and I were saying, bleak. going 7-5-1, and one, I mean, it, it, we're, we're picking that because it's December, but if you yeah. want to pick a 13-game stretch, you yeah. got to go like nine and four. Mm-hmm. You know, seven well, five and figured, one is average in this NHL. Yeah, I'm just looking at. Uh, I'm looking at. We got 37 points, yep. and we got 43 games left. Yep. So uh, the way I see it, we got to get four points every three games for the next 14 weeks. Uh, well, at least, yeah. Four. If we can get four points, in other words, if we can win two out of three consistently without faltering even once 
we should end up with 93 points. And that might not be enough? Yeah. Yeah. But, but you're and, right. But to win two out of three, I mean, that's uh, the hockey gods can't even, <laughs> can't even, you know, we'd have to transform ourselves into the Tampa Bay Lightning or, yeah. or Nashville or something well, starting, s- like, starting tomorrow. Playing 667 hockey over a long stretch is, is hard. And that's, uh, what was the order? I got it in my notes here, Rob. Their point percentage last year, I don't have it. Hang, hang on, I'm going to quickly do the math here. Because they had 103 points, right? Mm-hmm. Out of 164, right? Yep. 103 divided by 164. So that's 62.8% of their points. So the Oilers would have to play at a better clip than they did all, all of, of last, last year. year to make the playoffs, li- likely. Or yes. at least at the very same clip. Yeah, it's... Like it, getting... Yeah. The, the hole was huge. The hole was huge at the beginning of the season. And it, 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 it's like, I, I guess if you were going to look at, the, we're almost at the halfway point of the season, the biggest surprise and the biggest disappointment in the National Hockey League, well, I think it's pretty safe. The that surprise is but easy. Yeah, but it's in the same division. I would say it, it's a Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights would be the biggest surprise, and the Edmonton Oilers would be the biggest dipo- disappointment thus far this year. Yep, for I, where the expectations were. Point. Because, in all honesty, you could probably could say that if you flip flop them in the standings, and you would say that's oh that's, that's how I expected. expected. Yes, because I actually thought Vegas would finish ahead of Arizona and maybe Vancouver, and I, instead Ed, it's Edmonton ahead of only Vancouver and Arizona, yeah. and tied with Vancouver, and Vegas is like second in the league. And and, and, beating, and beating good teams and not and not beating them through having a goalie stand on his head. They actually the games I've watched them play, they have been the better team in those hockey games. So I'm looking forward to seeing when when the Oilers play them again in Las Vegas. I they are a team. Well, I mean, they are a team right now that's trying to win. Not only not only are they trying to make the playoffs, they're trying to win a division and win a conference. And I don't think anyone would have expected that preseason when you're making your your bold picks on how the year is going to go when seattle joins and seattle will Will join join, join. i mean when the league puts out an expansion call but only invites one city (laughs) to apply i think the writing's on the wall there anyone can apply but (laughs) But don't waste your money yeah don't Uh, waste your money uh do you think they'll they'll make it harder for seattle but but even i i I guess but but i know that as i've heard bob talk about it when when you guys do when he does his show and he says you know what it's different rules from old expansion teams and and that's all true but all of the players that Las Vegas has, the, every team had their choice of who to leave off. And these are the players that they did not think were going to make that big a difference in their own franchise. They, they chose other players instead of the one. So, yes, it is a, a much easier for them to have more success. But still, there's a lot of cast-offs that even at the beginning of the year, you could say, okay, Vegas could protect 15 players and the other players teams in the NHL yeah no we don't want any of the other players that you've got because they're not good enough to make our roster so uh, to me I give it uh, I give credit to to the GM there I give credit to the players there but Gerard Gallant and I hope that he comes on and wins coach of the year and they in his acceptance speech he says I want to thank the Florida Panthers for the embarrassment that you guys did to me last year when you fired me and left me on the side of the road because Gerard Gallant is is hands down the coach of the year you know for him? what he's done. I've played against him, and uh, I appreciated and respected the style of game he played. He was tough, and he played every shift hard. And I, I, he wasn't a big man, 
but he played big, and he was a guy that you, if if all of a sudden back in the old days, you would everyone would drop the gloves, you'd be looking behind Gerard. Okay, is there somebody else out here? Because I do not want to tangle with him. But uh, you appreciated the type of player that he was, and he obviously the type of coach he is because players love playing for him, and he has success everywhere he goes. Oilers lose 5-0 tonight. Quick timeout, Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre. This is the Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line. Now, from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre, Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chan. It's 9.23. Thanks for joining us tonight. Oilers losing badly tonight, 5-0 to the Winnipeg Jets. Of course, we're counting down to the Winter Olympics in South Korea. Going to start on February 9th, and the hockey teams will be... uh, headline makers for Canada. The men's team going to have a different look, no longer with NHL players there. The women's team will feature a couple local products, Shannon Zabados in goal, and Megan Mickelson, defenseman from St. Albert, uh, will be playing in her third Olympics, and she was part of that tune-up series, Canada playing the United States, and Canada was able to win five of six against the Americans. Yeah, I played in all of the games except for one. Uh, we had, you know, eight or nine defensemen, um, you know, for each game. So a couple had to sit out here and there. But um, just each game, I think we were just looking to really use those games as an opportunity to, to work on our structure, work on our systems, and, and just try to uh, get better as a team. And every time we play against the U.S., obviously, it's a, it's a great game, and it's a very intense rivalry that we have. So... Uh, you know, whether it's at the Olympics or in this six-game series, um, they're they're very competitive, fast-paced games, and um, I think that we did a, a really good job this year of, of coming out on top. What's the experience like for you? Because there are younger players, I'm sure, hoping to take your spot at at some point, mm-hmm. um, but yet they're yeah. they're teammates, and and you want to develop Canadian talent as well. What's that relationship like? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very difficult process that uh, I don't think everyone, you know, really knows about and understands completely. Uh, we had a, a three-week boot camp in May and June, um, training off ice and on ice, and then we've been together um, as a group of 28 players since the beginning of August. So it's been basically, you know, a five-and-a-half-month tryout process that we've already gone through. And, and it's tough because, obviously, you want to make the team personally, but, um, you know, it's also a very important time uh, for the team to to gel and really come together and create chemistry. And uh, you want to win, obviously, um, as we go through the process. But, um, you know, it's tough to get to this point, um, you know, this morning when the team is named. And uh, there's five players that were such a huge part of our journey and a huge part of the process that won't be coming with us to Pyeongchang. But, um, you know, we're, we're a huge part of, of, you know, this team coming together and, and becoming what we are today. So it's really difficult and it's it's tough to say goodbye to those players and it's a tough day because as much as you want to celebrate you know the success of um and the excitement of the team being named um you also feel for those girls that you know you put your life into this team and and into your olympic dream and um it ends 
pretty abruptly. So, um, you know, personally, I just, you know, I, I've been through it before and, and you do your best, you reach out to those players. Um, but at the same time, you know that as a team, you have to move forward because um, we leave for the Olympics in uh, pretty much like a month. You have two Olympic gold medals already on your resume and now the opportunity to chase a third. So some pretty important life events. Tell us about another life event, though, uh, motherhood and balancing that with uh, playing a high level of hockey. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, an interesting couple of years for sure. Um, I had my son uh, in September of 2015 and came back pretty quickly after that. And it's it's been a bit of a whirlwind ever since. Um, you know, any parents out there know that uh, it changes your life just a little bit. So, um, you know, it's been tough. Uh, for me and, and for my husband and our family to to try to balance everything um, just so we can allow me to continue pursuing my goals and my dreams of playing for Team Canada. So it's been tough, but uh, it's been a lot of fun as well, um, you know, having my husband and my son at a lot of my games and just looking up in the stands uh, and seeing them there and uh, knowing what an experience it's going to be like for us. Uh, going to the Olympics, um, it, it's going to be incredible. So as tough as it's been, um, it's all worth it for sure. Yeah. Well, what's your son's name? My son's name is Calder. Now, is that a, a, a hockey? Because uh, there's the Calder Trophy, or is, or is that not connected to, to that? <laughs> it is a little bit. Um, my great-uncle won the Calder Trophy when he played for uh, the Detroit Red Wings. And then my dad uh, won the Calder Cup uh, when he played in the American Hockey League as well. So a little bit of family ties there, but um, we just really, we loved the name Calder. My husband played hockey um, professionally for a number of years as well. And um, obviously I come from a hockey family, so uh, we just, we loved the name and just found it fitting that, uh, you know, we were having a little boy and uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a little Calder for sure. Okay, I knew I knew about your dad's hockey career. Who was your great uncle? Uh, Jim McFadden was his name. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Uh, yeah, so he he played for the Detroit Red Wings uh, in the forties, nineteen forties, nineteen fifties. Won the Calder Trophy and also won a, a Stanley Cup with them. Oh, awesome. Okay. Megan Mickelson joining us. Named to the Canadian Women's Olympic Hockey Team today. She's going to be chasing her third uh, Olympic gold medal. Is this, I, I, I hate to ask you this, but we don't get to talk all the time. Is is this you're, you're the last time you want to go through the Olympic cycle or, or have you thought beyond that? Honestly, um, I mean, I would be lying if I said I hadn't thought about it. I think it's something that, you know, most players heading into the Olympics, if they've been there a couple times, think about. But, um, I mean, I'm 32 years old. I'll be 33 at the Olympics. uh, And I feel the best physically that I felt in my career. So I'm not thinking about uh, retirement just yet. I'm just trying to really enjoy this experience and, um, you know, do my best um, to perform my best for the team. But uh, I think that's a bridge that I'll cross um, in the next few years. I know I hate asking that, but I have to do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Megan, I, I got to interview Natalie Spooner the other night at the uh, Oilers game. Oh, yeah? uh, d- tell me how the two of you wound up on Amazing Race Canada. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it, it was kind of funny how it happened. It was the, the last centralization year, and uh, Natalie just asked me if I wanted to apply with her. 
and I, you know, I just kind of said, you know, why not? Um, we, when we applied, we both didn't know if we were on the team or not yet, and we just decided it was something fun that we would do, and, and why not? We didn't know at the time that there would be 30,000 other people applying <laughs> uh, to be on the Amazing Race Canada. They get a lot of applications, so um, we were really lucky that we got picked. It was three days after we got home from Sochi. We got a phone call and said that we were cast to be on the show, and it was just it was an incredible experience. Obviously, a, a whirlwind coming home from Sochi and then leaving for that, um, you know, a couple of weeks later. But it was you know an experience of a lifetime and and one that I'll never forget. That's for sure. That's St. Albert's Megan Mickelson. She'll be playing for the Canadian women's Olympic hockey team for the third time. Oilers lose 5-0 to the Jets. Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre. This is the Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line on Oilers Radio. 6.30 chair. Hope your New Year's Eve is going well. Reed Wilkins inside Rogers Place earlier tonight. It did not go well for the Edmonton Oilers. They played poorly and were beaten soundly. 5-0 by the Winnipeg Jets. Marco Dano, after being a healthy scratch for the last 30 games, his first appearance for the Jets since October 27th. He scored just 234 in. Hendricks and Sherratt getting the assist. Then Blake Wheeler at 13-16 from Kyle Connor taking advantage of some sloppy play in their own end by the Oilers. He was 2-0 after one. Then Connor scored a power play goal at 11-17 of the second period. His 13th from Line A and Lowry. And then Little with two and a half seconds left in the second period. His seventh from Morrissey, and the Jets round out the scoring with another power play goal, 726 of the third. Perot, his tenth from Armia, and Little Hellebuck makes a 35-save shutout for the Jets. He's the third star, Dano the second star, and Connor the first star. The Oilers, uh, really not good, very sloppy, not a lot of uh, precision in their game, really not a lot on the attack, even though they wound up with 35 shots. I mean, maybe three or four good scoring opportunities, and take nothing away from Hellebuck, who was very uh, solid, but it's uh, not as if he was tested with a lot of grade-A opportunities tonight. So Edmonton slipping to 17-19-3 and on the season, just 8-11-1 at home. They will host Los Angeles on Tuesday and then Anaheim on Thursday to uh, round out their four-game homestand. You know, New Year's Eve hasn't been kind to the Oilers, just 2-13-4 in their NHL history. 0-12-4 on December 31st since they last won a uh, New Year's Eve game back in 1985 over Philadelphia. But this day, one of the most famous games in hockey history played on New Year's Eve. December 31st, 1975, the Montreal Canadiens played the Soviet Red Army, and the game ended in a 3-3 tie, and it was uh, the time that a lot of Canadians really got to know Red Army goaltender Vladislav Trechak. The shots were 38-13 for Montreal, and it ended in a 3-3 tie. Of course, the great Larry Robinson was a defenseman for the Canadians back then, and he remembers the lead-up to that New Year's Eve game. There was a lot of hype around it, mostly because of uh, the, the game that, uh, again, 72 in Montreal was so memorable because everybody thought that Canada was just going to wipe out the Russians, and instead uh, they almost got their butts kicked, and... Uh, so I think a lot of that was fresh in everybody's mind um, about especially with the way it happened and everything else. But the thing that I remember most was standing uh, 
on the blue line uh, with the national anthem going, and um, I was so nervous, my legs were shaking. And, you know, I mean, at this point in 74, I'd already been uh, to the Stanley Cup finals and everything else, but never was I in front of this many uh, people in such a, I guess, emotional, emotion-packed situation. And then you had Roger Doucette singing the national anthems for both teams, and um, you know, Harlamov and Tretiak and, and so on and so forth, guys that had played in the, the 72 series. And here we are, the Montreal Canadiens, playing basically uh, in front of a, a Canadian audience watched by millions and millions of people. So it was a pretty emotional uh, situation that I, I hadn't been in before. Was there something to it, Larry, that... I mean, that was when the the Cold War was going on and, and, you know, communism was, you know, the Soviet Union was a driving force force behind that. Was it almost like this wasn't just two hockey teams meeting? Did you almost get the sense that people put the importance, like this is is two different ways of life clashing as well? Uh, You know, us personally, I I I don't think that we looked at it in a political way. I think we looked at it more in their culture, the way that they played the game uh, as opposed to our culture and the way that the Canadians grew up uh, playing the game. I I think that's more two different styles of hockey. And I I think we felt the pressure that that we can can win playing it our way. And, of course, they thought uh, they could win playing it their way. But uh, I don't think... I don't think this was as much a political as much as, you know, bragging rights. Who had the better team? Right. Larry Robinson joining us tonight. So, I mean, there's a there's a whole generation of fans now that obviously have seen Russian and European players in the NHL all the time. So there's not mm-hmm. maybe a mystique yeah. like there would have been. Let fans right. know what was their way versus our way back in the mid-'70s in terms well, of style uh, of play. Uh, for- in, in terms of style, it was, you know, the, the North American style was more, uh, you know, up and down, up and down your wing and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of if you didn't have a play, get it in deep and dump and chase and, you know, play physical. Whereas their their game was more of a, of a flow, more, in fact, more to the game the way that it's kind of played today in that uh, there's more flow, more puck possession, um you know, they, if they didn't have a play, they would throw the puck back and regroup and come back at you. They they wanted the puck all the time. So that, to me, I think was the biggest difference in our style and the fact that uh, I, I think they could, I, I think at that point, they were, uh, everybody on the team could really skate well, where um, on, on our teams, you know, you had your first three lines and then your fourth line was more of a checking line. All of their lines were were the same they were they they basically didn't have a checking line they you know it was puck control and anybody could could uh, pass the puck as good as the next guy whether it was on the forehand or the backhand and they had these big wicked curves that made the puck do funny things and uh i, I think their skill level as a whole was probably better uh than you know, most most of uh, everybody on our team, except for you know the the few superstars uh, that we had on our cl- on our club, like Lafleur and uh, Lemaire and those type of guys. But uh, it 
I, I, I don't know. I, you know, you're right. There's always pros and cons to to every side of of the game of how it how it should be played. And um, all I know is that uh, it they had a very very good brand of hockey. They were all very skilled, and they were all very very strong on their skates. I mean, didn't matter how big small they were when you when you ran into one of them you knew you were you were hitting something because they were their their stability was was next to next to none so Larry you mentioned sort of the 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 feeling you had going into the game and standing on the ice for the national anthem once it started and and you guys got a two nothing lead did, did you ever feel maybe eased into it or like okay I can treat it like another game or did you always have that sort of nervous feeling no, the ner- the nerves are the once you get playing, then your nerves leave. It's all it's all adrenaline, it's all adrenaline. But you do because of the aura around them. You do things probably a little bit differently than you would in an ordinary uh, NHL game because you knew that a mistake mistake meant a scoring chance, and they didn't need a lot of scoring chances. They were they were pretty darn good at putting the puck in the net, and as as we found out, you know, I think we outshot them 40, 40 something to sixteen or thirteen, yeah. and uh, we ended up tying the game. And, uh, and in fact, I, I think I was on the ice on the last two-on-one that tied the game. But uh, no, it, it, it's uh, once the game gets going. I mean, that's that's the beauty of hockey is that you can lose yourself and and concentrate on the game, and uh, then your nerves don't take over. You know, you mentioned the disparity in shots, yet the game ended up in a tie. Were the shots indicative yeah. of the possession and the scoring chances, or, or did they simply have the puck yeah. as, as much, but just it didn't shoot as much? No, they certainly don't shoot as, as much, but no, I mean, we controlled 90% of the play. In fact, uh, Tretziak put on such a, such a game, that, or had such a game that night that even... Uh, the, the Montreal uh, crowd gave him a standing ovation uh, when he was called out as the third star, and he kind of became a folk hero in Montreal just because of the game that he played that night. But well, also, you, also, also, uh, Har- Arlamov put on a what a tragedy that was losing a, a hockey player of his caliber. I mean, he put on a show that night that also was next to none the way that this guy was a magician on the ice the way he could skate and handle the puck and shoot and pass uh he was just a pleasure to play against would you categorize harlamov as their most dangerous forward from that team oh yeah by far yeah by far yeah i mean he was almost he was almost mcdavid mcdavidish i I think connor might be a little what might have been a little bit bigger but they're the the acceleration that these these two people have, these two hockey players have, is oh, I wish I had half of it. Uh, I mean, it's it's a very it's like a, it's like another gear another gear. They just almost uh, turbo esque uh, the way that they can take off. Yeah. So just to wrap up here, Larry. I mean, you know, you got a guy like yeah. me interviewing you. You know, four decades after the game, and I don't know if you ever get tired <laughs> of talking about it. But what what's it like just to uh, and you played in a lot of special games and won Stanley Cups, but what's it like yeah. to yeah. be linked to that and have people still look back on it as a as a very special moment in in the history of the entire game? Well, yeah, a lot of pride in that uh, you were able to play in that 
that era and and still be remembered long after you stop playing and probably long after you start you stop living uh it'll always be remembered i think uh that's how that's how history is made and that's it's uh, quite an honor to be able to be linked to the history of of the game and the history of a special moment that is great talking to Larry Robinson. Incredible memories of that 1975 New Year's Eve game. The Montreal Canadiens, the Soviet Red Army, playing to a unforgettable 3-3 tie. Bad news down the highway for the Oilers. Two of the teams ahead of them in the standings going to overtime. A three-point game. Chicago tied it with the goalie pulled. Minute 46 left to make it 3-3. Calgary has just won it in overtime. Mark Giordano with a seeing-eye shot. Looked like it got in over the right shoulder of Jeff Glass, who was uh, the first star here in Edmonton the other night. So Flames 4, Blackhawks 3 in overtime is your final. Here at Rogers Place, the New Year's Eve party atmosphere died down quickly. Winnipeg scored early and never looked back, crushing the Oilers 5-0. Canadian Brewhouse overtime open line from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre. This is the Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line. Now, from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Center, Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chan. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. It's 9.49 on New Year's Eve. Final couple of hours of 2017. Here's your updated Advantage Trailer Rentals out-of-town scoreboard. Now that Mark Giordano has just scored an overtime to give Calgary a 4-3 win over Chicago, the Vegas Golden Knights, what else is new? They win 6-3 over Toronto. William Carlson had a hat trick. Anaheim knocks off Arizona 5-2. The Lightning get a 5-0 win in Columbus. The Red Wings skate past the Penguins 4-1. The Avalanche blow out the Islanders 6-1. And Dallas lights up San Jose 6-0. And, of course, here at Rogers Place at another blowout on the list. Jets 5, Oilers nothing. In the American Hockey League, the Oilers farm team, Bakersfield Condors winning 3-1 over the Stockton Heat. Eero Pakarinen, Brad Malone, and Ryan Mantha had the goals. Eddie Pasquale, the winning goaltender, he made 34 saves. At the World Juniors, the United States beat Finland 5-4. Russia over Sweden, or pardon me, Sweden over Russia. Sweden winning 4-3 in a shootout. Slovakia takes down Denmark 5-1. The Czech Republic knocks off Switzerland 6-3. So the quarterfinals, which are coming up on Tuesday, Canada will play Switzerland. The Czech Republic will play Finland. That's one side of the draw. So Canada, obviously expected to beat Switzerland, will then play the winner of Czech Republic-Finland in the semifinal. On the other side of the draw, Sweden will play Slovakia, and the United States will take on Russia. So that's what's going on at the World Juniors. Here at Rogers Place, as I mentioned, Winnipeg 5, Oilers nothing. Here's Edmonton head coach Todd McClellan. Um, Obviously, especially playing at home here at this time of the year when we had something going good. Uh, pre-Christmas, we were on a roll. We felt good about ourselves, but um, that doesn't happen automatically. You got to show up, and you got to, uh, as I said, you got to at least attempt to outwork the other team. And we had none of that today, so um, it's uh, it's concerning. Dad, you met your effort 
you know, for the most part of this month has been pretty good. The one element that has struggled basically all of the calendar year in 17, your penalty kill again tonight, uh, you know, two goals on three opportunities. I know you spent a lot of time working on it. What other than video and keep rehashing has to happen for this to improve? Because, like, it's at a level that's one of the worst we've ever Yeah, it is. Um, certainly on home ice and uh, you know other than video and personnel and systems and practice time there's nothing else so we're we're trying to tap into all of those you saw some different penalty killers tonight uh, than we've had Schlepp, Strom, those type of guys got to, to penalty kill where they haven't in the past we're trying to make some adjustments to our systematic play um, so we're trying to adjust our, our, or tap those four areas but those are the four areas that you have that's it Todd, the dynamic in the dressing room, their search for answers, holding each other accountable, all those things that a team does itself to try and pull itself out of this. Can you describe what you see from this group? The personality it has, uh, I mean, it's been better lately, but is that lacking in this group in any way? No, it's been much better lately. Um, you know, obviously tonight we're really disappointed as a group with the effort and the commitment level and all that type of stuff. And uh, we can't afford, as I talked earlier this week to have those types of games and just write them off and, and be in the dog days. Um, you know, I think the character and everything is there. They've shown that they've been able to claw their way back into this. Uh, tonight was a very disappointing uh, game from our club, but uh, I'm not going to take one big brush and swipe the, the month and a half of hockey we've played lately with that same brush. Um, tonight's brush is very disappointing, though. When a team can do it some nights and then other nights it doesn't, doesn't that they'll speak to the determination that maybe it isn't quite what we think it might be? Well, um, you know, you have a point there. And uh, consistency of commitment and effort is really important to be a top-notch team. And uh, we didn't have it for the first month, month and a half of the season. We began to develop it and evolve it and grow it to the point where we felt confident, again, about bringing it every night. Uh, we've gone into the break. We haven't won in the three games. I think we've got one of six points. Um, and uh, the efforts kind of wavered a little bit up and down. So the consistency, not there to begin with at the reg in the regular season, grew and got back to where it needed to be. Now it's taking a bit of a dip. Uh, so we'll be challenged over the next two or three days to get back to where we were uh, pre-Christmas. Dad, was there any thought after 40 minutes? Yes, there was. And what was the reason to keep? We just we just wanted our group that started the night to finish the night. We we're all in it together. All right, Todd McClellan responding as to why he didn't pull Talbot down four nothing after two periods. Goaltending not the problem tonight. The Oilers uh, did didn't play a good game, and as Todd McClellan said, continue to be extremely inconsistent. Uh, had a little bit going there before Christmas, and now just one point. In their last three games, they started the month seven points out of a playoff spot. They finished the month seven points out of a playoff spot. A lot of work to do. The penalty killing on pace to be the worst penalty killing season in the NHL history of the Oilers, despite being 85% on the road, now under 57% at home. Hard to figure out. They've been shorthanded six times in their last two games on home ice, and they've allowed four power play goals against. The Oilers are scheduled to practice tomorrow and then the game against the LA Kings Tuesday night. We'll have it for you on 6.30, Chet. 6 o'clock for the face-off show. Puck drop at 7.30. Thanks to Troy Bowler, our engineer here at Rogers Place. Our studio producer back at 6.30, Chet, is Patrick Bauer. 
This has been Canadian Brewhouse Overtime Open Line from the Osmond Auctions Broadcast Centre. You can get more on 630Jet.com. Jets hammer the Oilers 5-0. On behalf of Rob Brown, I'm Reid Wilkins. Happy New Year.